Okay, I'm recording now. Cool. Cool. Do you want me to do the intro? Go for it. However you'd like. You don't even have to stick to the I'm format. The Just say at some point, this is hot, guys. Wow. Okay. You want me to do the right. intro? What? You want me to do the intro? Oh, yeah. Let's hear yeah, it. Yeah, Jorge. Yeah, just uh, right. just make sure you wrap it up where you say this is hot, guys. And then right. that's all you got to do. All right. What happens when one woman has to save a town from bandits and she must master seven different types of weapons to do so? Find out today on Hawkeyes. <laughs> okay. That was a very unique interpretation. Yeah, that's a way of watching this movie for sure. That's how I watch the movie. Well, I'm Harper. I'm Jonathan. <laughs> As Jorge mentioned, this is Hawkeyes. <laughs> theme twice (laughs) (laughs) uh no it's it's too long to do twice i think Mm -hmm. in a short period of time um but uh yeah our guest today is return guest front of the pod jorge veron cheesy hey howdy hey what is what is this is it three now no this is two for jorge two for jorge okay my first time was cannibalism yes alive such lighthearted fun yeah, so we brought you back for a, a big shootout. Yeah, I really loved watching a movie about this woman saving her town by mastering seven different types of weapons. It was so good. I feel like maybe we watched different movies. No, The Magnificent Seven were the seven types of weapons. There was gun, uh-huh. bow and arrow, uh-huh. knives, uh-huh. axe, okay. katana laser beam and horse i don't remember seeing a couple of those things pretty close that's pretty close to accurate sure Mm -hmm. yeah that was my favorite part when she brought out all the laser beams i mean what is a gatling gun if not a manual laser beam for real i guess when she whistled and the army of horses stampeded behind her truly oscar winning we stand emma in this house yes we do (laughs) Um, yeah, as you may or may not have picked up on, we're talking about The Magnificent Seven today. Yes, 2016. 2016, I know, we're coming up on the present, thank God. And also uh, worth mentioning because there is another Magnificent Seven. Yes, the 1960. Of which this is a remake, loose remake? I don't yeah, know what the original, I haven't seen the original. Yeah, it's a loose remake. It's um, There are a few key differences, um, mostly that this cast is much more diverse. Right. Than the original film um and it's not i believe it's not a woman in the 1960 version who it's brings not. them it's an old man mm-hmm. I'm um with her. yes and we're with her uh yeah so there are, i mean but i think it's like kind of spiritually similar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are just a few main differences and you don't have to watch the first six magnificence to be caught up a good no it's it's <laughs> definitely a standalone 
experience. It's not too like magnificent. F seven. Too furious. Or what was it? Was it F seven? F seven. Yeah. 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 Is that the latest one, or is there? No, there's nine. There's nine. I've never seen. Um, I've never seen the Quentin Tarantino or whatever whoever made the the Hateful Eight. Is that the movie? Is that related to this story in any way? Um, no. Well, Hateful Eight. I mean, it's like a western. The name definitely takes inspiration from. Yes. Magnificent Seven. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, but go ahead. Um. Yeah. No. It's just. It's. It's also like a. You know, Quentin Tarantino obviously loves westerns. And um, it's it's there are eight of them that are brought together to a place, um, but is yeah, like and a similar Spencer name. One of them? Hmm. Is Octavia Spencer in that? I don't think so. I think uh, Channing Tatum, Jeff Bridges, Samuel Jackson, Holly Hunter, uh, and then four other people. All right. Sounds well, pretty well, hateful, well, if you ask me. We'll pick this apart today on Tarantino Ice. Mm-hmm. I'm not super well-watched in Tarantino, I gotta admit. Neither. I've just watched Kill Bill 1 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Actually, now that I think about it, I think I've seen about half of them. He only has, like, nine movies. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's doable, for sure. Yeah, I've seen Kill Bill 1 and 2. I've seen uh, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. I've seen Glorious Django. Else? Are you fell I fell asleep during Reservoir Dogs, so I don't count it. Um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I've seen six of nine That's or ten. Yeah, so. I've seen Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill 1 and 2, um, Django, and Once Upon a Time. So six, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Which one did I see? Oh, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. I yeah. haven't seen that, yeah. Oh, I don't think yeah, I... List, did I list it at this time? Oh, I don't know. I don't think I listed it. Maybe I've seen seven. Maybe wow. I've seen most of his movies. Wow, you're a real Tarantino I really, head. Yeah, I really came in saying that I hadn't seen a lot of his movies and then listed <laughs> almost all of them. I feel like I he lo- seems I like someone who's... I discovery What did you say? I love self-discovery on this podcast. <laughs> I feel yeah. like he seems like someone who would have made more movies than he has. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I could see also how he hasn't made more movies than he has. Yeah. You know? Especially if you count Kill Bill 1 and 2 as one movie. That's how yeah. I feel about Spike Jonesy. Like, he only has, like, four movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did. He came up in music videos a lot. And yeah. Did he do that new Beastie Boys documentary? Is that Spike Jones? I think so, probably. Yeah. All of the, music, the only music thing I know he did is stuck in the, is the Suburbs music video, which was great, great music video. I I think I'm Facebook friends with one of the actors from it. I don't know why. <laughs> My friends are watching, like, I wonder how hot the guy is now, and he's a boring and Christian, but we added him on Facebook anyways. He likes my statuses every now and then. We're like this. Wow. That's fun. That's amazing. Yeah, I think he's done some Weezer videos. He, I mean, he's just he does a lot of videos, music videos. Yeah. I want a film. I want a feature-length film. But, you know, we're talking today about a movie by Antoine Fuqua. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a few of his movies, too. That's true. We've seen Training Day, obviously, the big one. Yeah. Um, and Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's Finest. Finest. Yeah. Yes. And here we are at the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. yeah which, so the entire time I was watching this, because I know that I read beforehand that this was based off Seven Samurai, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. But you know what else is based off Seven Samurai? 
and you cannot tell me it's not a bug's life. And the entire time I'm watching that's it, true. That's that's true, right? I mean, the Wikipedia article doesn't say that it was inspired by Seven Samurai, so it must not. So you know, but mm. the point is that I, the entire time I'm watching this, I'm just like, wow, where in a bug's life am I in the plot? <laughs> <laughs> And also, I don't know why, but I just had this idea halfway through for a reboot of Seven Samurai of this movie to be not of Magnificent Seven to be done like years down the line, where and hear me out, instead of cowboys, it's Spice Girls. I feel like you would get into some like legal issues there. You'd have to get them no, to sign on, the and they'd Girls. also be what. It's starring the Spice Girls. Yeah, well, you'd have to get them to agree to work together, which is hard sometimes for them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the pandemic has opened everyone's eyes to the power of cooperation. I'm sure. And also, they're going to be like 50? Eight. Music has no age. Neither that's, does justice. That's true. Oh, would this be animated? No, it would be live action. It would be live action. Okay. Yeah. I just think maybe some of the Spice Girls have aged better than others. Yeah, that might be true. <laughs> well, it's okay. But we'll I love to... them all and I don't appreciate believe, them. Do, I mean, don't underestimate the power of CG. <laughs> Listen, if Avatar could win an Oscar, so can we with our CG use. Okay, I'm going to write the start writing the script for seven Spice Girls starting like tomorrow. There's also only five of them, so. Well, we'll, we'll hire two more. We'll do Pumpkin Spice and. Uh... What's the Pumpkin spice and what? Spooky spice. Spooky spice. Spooky I feel like spice we already have scary spice. spice. Would be feuding throughout the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you have to come up with another one that's an actual spice. No, they would be teamed up. They would be like the Ethan Hawke and Billy and Ross. Scott, yes. Oh my <laughs> god. Can I just say, Billy Ross, without a doubt, most fuckable of the seven. I'm oh, a hundred percent. He's really hot. I wrote that down somewhere in my. I notes. made my list. Of like the top to bottom, on from most to least fuckable, he was at the top. Oh, that's so, interesting. Okay, maybe Jonathan and I should write down our list real quick, and we can compare on who the most. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely paying the most attention to uh, what's her name. Emma. Okay, well, she's not one of the Magnificent Seven, yeah. so. In my, in our, okay, no, well, I was paying the most attention to her anyway. Uh, oh, do you know who she is? Haley Bennett. Haley right? Bennett. Yeah, yeah, she's um. I'm a I'm a big fan of hers from her work in um, music and lyrics. That uh-huh. it's a rom com with oh, Hugh Grant yeah. and Drew Barrymore, and she plays Cora, who's a pop star yes. who's basically like yes. Britney Spears. I think this is the first time I saw her. Yeah. All I wanna do is find a way back in. What's that one song that um I totally sounded just like that song, and I could never unhear it. Oh, it's uh, Zoe. It's um. Oh, yes. Uh, Azul, Azul, I think, is what it's called. I can't believe, yeah, they stole it from a musical (laughs) legend. You can't convince me otherwise. That was a great concert. That's a great song, yeah. Remember concerts? What a time. Yeah. I just want to be in an uncomfortable room with, like, my feet feeling sore and sweating bullets, you know? I've actually been thinking that now that i've lived inside for so long that i'm never gonna go to a concert that i don't get to sit at again mm-hmm. like yeah. i'm only going to sit in concerts for the rest of my life like i'm sorry i'm not i will not stand at the palladium again yeah i truly okay. will not honestly the palladium like sucks there it's are so a, but it's convenient for me so that's yeah 
I mean, they book great guests, yeah. like, for sure. But I just mean the venue itself. Like, there are so many bad angles. Like, there are some venues where, like, wherever you stand, you get a pretty decent view of the stage. Yeah. But the Palladium is, like, designed to where there's a bunch of places where you can stand where you're going to have a shitty view. That's number one. Well, it's also, like, remember that when we went to see Magic, they're like, okay, what do you want to hear? Dead Disco or Gave Me Sympathy? And, like, we heard everyone saying Gave Me Sympathy because we were up front. But Harper, who was like in the back upstairs, heard everyone shouting for Dead Disco. Luckily, they did both, but you know, <laughs> acoustic true. Like, the mind is far better because it's like the Palladium, but themed. And, and I love it. And also, it was so hot. I was like sweating so goddamn much. There's no ventilation in there. Like the Terragram to me is, in my opinion, the best, my favorite venue I've been to. I've also, I mean, I've almost passed out at the Terragram too, but that's the thing is like anytime I'm standing, this is why I feel like I never want to go to a standing concert again. Like anytime I'm standing for a prolonged period of time, I will feel like I have to pass out. Mm-hmm. That's just. I also enjoyed sitting at Jose Gonzalez. So you know what? I'm with that now. I don't know. Like this entire experience has taught me like, you know, the outside is overrated. It's where the Civil War was held. We. <laughs> Speaking the of the Civil War, War, there were a couple of people that participated in it in this film. Yes. Such as uh, Denzel Washington's Sam Chisholm yes, and Ethan Hawke. A Northerner. Who's a Southerner. Yes, Ethan Hawke, a Southerner. Very interesting. Who plays Goodnight Robo Show. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm working on my ranking now. Jonathan, so in the hottest people yeah. of the Magnificent Well, in the meantime, I'll just say this movie, uh, Magnificent Seven, as spoken, is a remake of a movie from years ago. Based off Seven Samurai and it, with the basic plot of town is in danger, oil tycoon being an asshole, trying to, you know, like make these some people slaves and take their minds or whatever and just like, you know, like killing them. You know, just being an asshole. And basically someone from the town goes off to find heroes in search. Of, they're in search of heroes to help them fight off the people who are like taking over the town. And yeah. what I will say that this movie does, which I like, was it gathered the team very quickly. And yeah, it did. Like, very many movies that have a team about it, They mo- the majority take like two-thirds of the film to get them together, which I right. do not like. Like, that's the point. Like, the only two films that, I, that did it quick and they're good is this one and Guardians of the Galaxy, which is unfortunately another Chris Pratt movie, which I, who I didn't know would be in this movie. I wasn't emotionally prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, he's so prominent and so annoying. He really is. I Can I look at the cast to, to determine yeah, the hottest? Yeah, um, yeah so... Yeah. Is it open? Yeah. Um, if I go back, will it why? show me? It was at it. No, I know, but I want to see their pictures. Oh, no, please don't do that. I want the Wikipedia page open. Oh, sorry. Um, no, because I just liked it here because it had the the names of the characters and the names of the... Okay, hold on. I'm getting my no, phone. No, I'm getting... I'm opening it. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, if you just go on Google, you can see I like, know. the photos. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I know. I understand. So we're doing the hotness matrix? Yeah. Well, I call it the fuckable matrix, but for your child, child audience... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, you know, I mean, this would be like if we had a child, you know, they would be... I'm sure that at this point... ...into a podcast like this, but... um. Yeah, all of the children out there that are really invested in an Ethan Hawke podcast. Although, Ethan, I know that you're listening right now. Ethan, invested in where you will be in each of our rankings. But I do want to say, no matter where you are in my placements, thank you for teaching me that daddies can be hot in boyhood. 
That's right. <laughs> Ethan, we love you. And no matter where you fall on our list, we all think you're really hot. You. Okay. So can I, I don't get to include Haley Bennett. No, you, you do don't. Not. You do. We're doing the Magnificent Haley Seven. Bennett is obviously number one. Which is why we can't include her. She's God yeah. tier. We're doing the. We're, she's S tier. We're doing the tier list below that. I think she would be if we were including her. She would be my number two. Oh wow! Maybe. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe. I'm gonna write down. I'm gonna write down. Maybe not my number three. I'm gonna write down. I'm still gonna include her. Okay. <laughs> I can't not. Um. Yeah. So Chris Pratt was in this movie quite a bit, and um, I felt like there's something about him where. He just doesn't feel right in this time period. Like I felt it about him. I I get that. Is, like a is lot this of this guy is. Which one is the other one of the seven? See, this is why I liked the Wikipedia page because it had it said the seven, and underneath it, it said the people that were the seven. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll say them out loud for the audience. Hold on. The, the listeners are really gonna love you know hearing me get cut off every five seconds. Okay, so the seven is Denzel Washington. Yeah. Sam Chisholm. Yeah. Chris Pratt is Joshua Faraday. Yeah. Ethan Hawke is Goodnight Robot Show. That is his name. Young Hun Lee as Billy Rocks, a.k.a. my future husband. Yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio as Jack Horn. Manuel Garcia Rolfo as Vasquez. And Martin Sensmeyer as Red Harvest. With um, honorable mention... To Haley Bennett and Peter Sarsgaard, also big roles in this movie, and also Matt Bomer. Yeah, know. Matt Bomer, was- who was in there real hot in the first minute. And when he got shot, ooh, my loins. Yeah, he got murdered immediately. I was so I surprised. I was surprised, yeah, because it's Matt Bomer. He didn't have that much of a budget left for him, okay? <laughs> like, we gotta like, listen, we could fly you out here for like one day of shooting, and then we gotta send you back. Mm-hmm. I thought he was Ethan Hawke at first. <laughs> I just forget what oh, Ethan no. Hawke looks like every time I watch an Jorge. Ethan Hawke. <laughs> this is an Ethan Hawke podcast. <laughs> I know. I don't know why you include me. <laughs> All right. I've oh, done it. Okay. Um, Jorge, why don't you kick us off since this was your idea? This is a great idea. Okay. So at the bottom okay. is Ethan Hawke. <laughs> what? Listen, I cannot stand a Billy Goat beard. I cannot. Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> it so takes shocked. A lot for me to be not attracted to Ethan Hawk and this movie did it. Wow. The next up from him is Chris Pratt for obvious reasons. Okay. okay. <laughs> Chris Pratt also comes in at number six for me. Yeah. Next up from that is Vasquez. Mm. It's not that he's not hot, it's just that I feel like of all the seven, he has the least personality mm-hmm. after his introduction. Above that, you have Denzel Washington. What's happening? Okay. <laughs> Third place is Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> wow. He looks like he cuddles so well. Yeah, big daddy and vibes I'm for sorry, sure. I just could not see him and think of him in his role from Daredevil and just be like, oh, oh, God, kingpin. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm like half a, half into the swine glass right now. Second... <laughs> Would be is gonna be Red Harvest for obvious reasons, and yeah. obvious, first place is gonna be Billy. Yeah. Oh my God! Not only is he hot, he uses knives—the best weapon, objectively. Knives. He's so cool. God. Billy. Really. Okay, that's my list. Nice. Actually, our lists are pretty similar, um, <laughs> except for I have Vincent D'Onofrio at number seven. 
Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. He just, uh, not for me. Not for me in this movie. I historically have loved Vincent D'Onofrio, but this this one, it's not for me. Um, coming in at six, also Chris Pratt. Five, uh, Manuel Garcia Rolfo Vasquez. Same. Uh, four, Denzel Washington, Sam Chisholm. Oh. Yeah. Um, number three, Ethan Hawke. So I think we switched our Ethan Hawke and, and Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then two, Red Harvest, Martin Seismeyer. And then one, Byung-Hun Lee, Billy Rocks. Very nice. Okay. Oh, and then if I was, yeah, if I was going to slot Haley Bennett in there, she would be at number two underneath Billy Rocks. Haley okay. Bennett would be below Vincent D'Onofrio for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, rounding out the bottom of the list for me, Chris Pratt. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just can't do it. And then uh, above that, Vincent D'Onofrio. I can't with you. And then uh, Denzel Washington. Wow. What is that? Lower than us. Yeah, I mean, I love Denzel, but you know, he just got the he's got the dad vibes for me. You know. Yeah, like in a good way. Looking okay. like a heterosexual right, male. And then above that, I've got Ethan Hawke. And then uh, Manuel, Red, and Billy. So we all have the same at the top of the list. And if I'm to include non Magnificent Seven, number two, Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. <laughs> I love that evil hotness. And then number one, Haley Bennett. Peter Sarsgaard would be my number three, actually. It would, if I include both of them, he would be my number three, then Vincent number four, then Haley Bennett number five. Because as hot as he is in that movie, he's such an asshole. I'm not the most attracted to him. He also doesn't use knives or bow and arrow, which are two very important <laughs> weapons to me. Yeah, so. he uses capitalism. That's his main weapon. Yeah, and we're as all they sick. as they hammer it as they hammer that point in immediately. Yeah, God is capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like we hate this guy now. Okay. It reminds me of this. That reminded me of like so. Like there was a a post on Twitter, something that was like, God, you just know the live action parasite is going to be so like blunt and not subtle with its like anti-capitalist messaging yeah and I someone mean, just responded I think with an advert but someone just responded with an advertisement for the snowpiercer tv show that had like the two main characters staring at each other over the train and it just said class warfare <laughs> <laughs> like you're right they're not good because americans don't get subtle that's what i didn't like about okja like i felt like it was too mm. it was too on the nose you know what i mean I've never watched like that industrial one. farming is bad. Like I was like, okay, fine. You know, it just didn't like Parasite to me was like so subtle. I mean, it was like there were a lot of like on the nose things about it, but you could interpret it a lot of different ways. Like you felt, like I felt sympathy for all of the characters, yeah. more or less. The rich people weren't bad. Like you can hate them because they're like they're not bad people. Yeah, like, but, it, like I, I, I felt like it was such a nuanced approach, and that's what made it so good. But Okja to me totally lacked that. As much of a Bong Joon Ho as I am, <laughs> like I've only seen four of his films. I've seen Parasite, The Host, Snowpiercer, not the TV series though, even though it has the actress who plays Corey Matthews' daughter in Gordon's World. Oh, and I like her. She, you should um, see um, uh, what, Memories of Murder, right? Is that one of them? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's a good that's one. That's a good movie. Or, what was, did you mention Mother? Is that the other one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw Mother. Yeah, that one's good. Uh, yeah, Rowan Blanchard is a bisexual teen icon. Like, 
What a leader. I, she was on the cast list like since last year when I wa- read the Wikipedia article for the TV show. And this show that hadn't even found a network yet, it was like, she'll have a guest appearance in season one before being promoted to main cast in season two. I'm like, damn, <laughs> y'all are really planning this, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, that movie, ha- I mean, that show has an interesting cast. It's David Diggs and Jennifer Connelly in the main roles. Jennifer Connelly being like the evil, I think, Tilda Swinton character. Yeah, and... I feel like I want to watch it, but I just, the movie is so good to me. I just don't feel the need to. And it also has um, Mike O'Malley, Kurt's dad from Glee. He's in that show. Aww. Yeah. Yep. Aww. Um, Jorge, have you seen the movie? There's a movie called The Mysteries of Pittsburgh with Peter Sarsgaard. Never heard of it. Mm, okay, so is Peter Sarsgaard the one in uh, an education? Yes, he is. Yeah, very hot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yikes, but yeah. <laughs> kind know. of like how there's, I think that Matthew Good's really hot in Stoker. There's a, it's really similar. <laughs> there is definitely an unsettling hotness to him. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Mysteries of Pittsburgh is like a kind of coming of age, but like an like an 18-year-old coming of age movie about... Um, a young guy played by Ben Foster, I think. Um, and he gets involved with this couple, um, a woman and a man, and the man is played by Peter Sarsgaard. Um, and it's based on a book by Michael Chabon that I read in high school. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the movie's not amazing, but like it did a lot for me as like a bisexual youth who had mm. also read the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Silence is golden, Jorge. I'm so sorry. Duct tape is silver. I can't listen. I get a phone call. I blame Apple. I can't not make like my computer start ringing. All I can do is your computer computer. ringing. Yeah. So I had to silence my computer immediately so the audio doesn't come out. Then hang up on my phone. There's this. uh, There was this one time that Mindy Kaling was on um, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and his he has like an Apple Watch, and his watch started going off, Mm -hmm. and he tried to cover it to like make it uh quiet but he ended up like answering whatever it was <laughs> and it was like like a holiday in rewards that was calling him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she just spends like the rest of the interview just roasting him for for having his like holiday rewards program when he's like a millionaire <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny uh, okay okay so yeah yeah maybe we should dig into this movie <laughs> yeah so let's talk about what this movie's about first off because i yes. don't think we've actually yes. done that we've been yes. recording for 25 minutes and oh, no one knows what i this gave about. a brief intro oh you did past, and we also rate them on fuckability which let's be real here that's what everyone here wanted to know it's the which most important the seven thing is the most magnificent yeah and that's billy rocks yeah uh what's the actor's name is uh byung hoon lee yeah Love him. I never thought of that. Yeah, I'm not familiar with him. He, he was in a movie called, and I never saw this movie, but it's been on my watch list literally since it came out in like 2009. Like wow. I remember seeing it in Hollywood Video and walking by it and thinking, I want to watch that. And like right before Hollywood Video was over, yeah. you know what I mean? Thinking, oh, I'm gonna watch that. And then I saw the trailer in the theater too, mm-hmm. and then I never watched it, and I have continued to not watch it. Um, I think, and it also has um, Song Kang from parasite oh okay yeah it's called the good the bad and the weird and it's also a western it's like a korean what western who was that was it song no it was that his name song king i don't know i'm gonna was look it, it up now it's interesting the connection between like asian especially japanese like culture and like 
american westerns and stuff like that because mm-hmm. like a lot of american westerns are based on uh samurai movies because i think the like the samurai movie format lends itself really well to being interpreted as a cowboy movie i think there's like a similar kind of um i don't know spirit to 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 a samurai and to a cowboy which is kind of cool mm-hmm. okay I mean, um correction it's kang ho song mm-hmm. sorry yes no, like samurai and cowboys are the same thing. It's just east versus west version of it. Like I, they are basically are the same thing. Yeah. Although I think my understanding is that samurais are like, they're, sort of, respected. You know, uh, elite kind of figures, whereas cowboys can be a little more lawless. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gotta say samurai movies and cowboy movies, neither of them are really my mm-hmm. my main jam. Yeah, yeah what, what is your guy's relationship with, like, Western movies in general? Um, I like... I like Frontierland at Disneyland, and that's the extent <laughs> of my relationship with Western movies. Gotcha. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like... You know, I... I went to like film camp and they taught us about like fetishizing parts of the body, which is something that happened in like, you know, the spaghetti westerns a lot. Like mm-hmm. that's like I've learned I've learned, learned a lot of like context surrounding western movies, but I haven't actually like fully sat down and watched them because I just I've like I've tried like we tried to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and I I kind of like snapped out of it pretty quickly. They're just not for me. Yeah, western movies are really like atmospheric. Like, modern ones tend to be more action-packed, like this mm-hmm. one. But old spaghetti westerns, like the Sergio Leone ones, and, like, especially Sergio Leone, they tend to be, like, atmospheric in the way that it's more about just, like, kind of taking in the, like, Southwest vibes, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, the plot moves at a pretty glacial pace. Like, the best example of this is Once Upon a Time in the West, the opening, the most memorable thing about that movie is the opening scene, which is like a full on 10 minutes of people just sitting and waiting at a train station. That's that's what I was thinking. That's the one they showed us in film camp. Yeah. And there's just like <laughs> flies buzzing around and stuff like that. So you really feel like the like listlessness of it. But if you're watching it as a viewer expecting like, you know, shootouts at high noon, you could it, it can be easy to kind of tune out. Yeah, um, I liked Three Ten to Yuma, the the remake. Yes, I did. I've like never seen the lot. original, yeah. but I did like the remake. Um, and I've enjoyed In Valley of Violence, as mm-hmm. I mentioned. I did actually enjoy that movie. It wasn't perfect, but I liked it. Um, I watched the Seth MacFarlane movie A Thousand Ways to Die in the West, and I actually oh. really liked it. And I honestly will say it's very underrated. And like, as an the older I get, the more critical I am of Seth MacFarlane's sense of humor. Absolutely, but I do remember I watched it when I was getting to that point when I was over him. But I still watched it for some reason. But I did very much enjoy it. I felt like it was a good like. I, it just what I liked about it was it was a love letter to the Western genre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which I've I mean, never seen, so I really can't judge it. But it seemed like it, you know. So, yeah, I mean, what I will say about Seth MacFarlane though is like that movie specifically came out like what, like twenty twelve, like or later even, right? Let me look it up. Like early to mid tens, and um, like yes i'm totally on board with being more critical of seth MacFarlane, but i think he probably has more people around him that are more critical of his humor too so i think that there's 
you know, huh? 2014? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like probably the, you know, the closer to present we get, like the less, you know, kind of offensive his humor is going to be just because of what flies. No. Right. You know? I think one of the key things to know about like the Western genre is like a lot of them are the like central theme is revenge. Like revenge is such a huge driver in Western movies and Magnificent Seven is in this, this movie is no different. Mm -hmm. So should we get into basically what, what it's about? Yeah. Let's talk about the movie. So, um, I wrote down when my first notes was, is this literally the same set as in a Valley of Violence? And then I realized, no, it's not. No. Um, I looked Old it towns up. look similar. Old towns look similar. Yeah, there's definitely more. This is a bigger set mm-hmm. or a bigger, you yeah, know. Yeah, the town's a little bigger. Yeah. And I looked it up and they shot most of it in Louisiana. Mm. Really? Um, yeah. I know. I thought it was going to be that old Paramount set. The one what that they about used the Red for... backgrounds? Where was that from? Because that wasn't Louisiana. I don't know, um, but most of the film was set, was shot in Louisiana, um, and uh, I don't know what I was saying. Anyway, most of it was shot in Louisiana, and In a Valley of Violence was mostly shot in New Mexico, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a part of this movie was also shot in New Mexico. Interesting. So I imagine like the Badlands scenes are kind of yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. So I was thinking it was maybe like that old Paramount set that like every Western for all of time has used, but it mm-hmm. wasn't. Um, yeah, and we start in a church. Yes. And everyone's discussing this Bogue guy. Mm-hmm. And we know he's a businessman. And then someone's like, oh, we should we can try to reason with him. And then one guy's like, we can't reason with him. And, uh, and Bogue himself, played by the... Uh, the evil hot Peter Sarsgaard exactly walks in and uh, there's the him and his armed men and they're like there's no guns in this church <laughs> and uh, Matt Bomer himself stands up to Peter Sarsgaard and gets murdered immediately yeah that's beauty gone so soon I'm pour one out for Matt Bomer <laughs> here's the Blaine straight brother from Glee gone but not forgot. Oh, I forgot that he was Blaine's straight brother on Glee. Yeah, like Darren, Chris, the straight guy played the gay guy and the gay guy plays. Yeah, that was that was weird. Glee is a weird show. Yeah, it's to me, every... he'll always be Neil Caffrey from White Collar, uh, USA. Characters welcome. I think that's what I know him from best, even though I've never seen that show. Um, but I will also say that he was on the cover of this young adult novel before he was like an actor. He was a model <laughs> and he was on the Surprise. cover of this young adult novel called Rainbow Boys, which was like a gay teen uh, like friend story. Um, and he was uh, Kyle, I believe, from that <laughs> book. <laughs> um, just funny. based on the description. Um but yeah, so that's, that's, I mean, I think I, cause I would have been watching White Collar in high school and I saw that book and was like, oh, it's Matt Bomer. Mm-hmm. So weird. Crazy. Anyway. Um, yeah. And then they also, they burned down the church. Folks, right. men burned down right. the church. And um, Haley Bennett, uh, who plays Emma is, you know, understandably upset because of the death of her husband, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the murder of her husband, I should say. And, um, and she wants to win back the town from Bogue. Yeah. And the way that she does that 
is she uh, she needs to find some some fierce men that will help them out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some real daddies. Some real daddies. And she finds these daddies very quickly. She does, yeah. She starts with Denzel. Right? She does. So Denzel rides into this town, and there's like a big shootout in the saloon. Yes, he introduces himself to the guy he's about to kill. He says, I'm the equalizer. No, he says, uh, uh, I wish you had more time. No, I'm sorry. That's not what he says. He says, uh, you think I'm proud? I've been standing 18 years in the same spot. And then the guy says, and I've been standing here with you. <laughs> and then he shoots him. <laughs> God, I can't no, he says uh, that he's... He says that he's uh, um, he's uh, licensed. What does he call himself? Oh, he's a marshal and he's and a, a keeper officer. of the peace in yeah. Arkans- Arkansas and, Arkansas and, and the Indian territories yes. and seven other states. He says it so many Arkansas times. Arkansas again. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, I, li- I like the way he introduces himself. He's good. I mean, it's done so Washington. Yeah. Of course he's good. Yeah. I d- I'm just going to come out and say this because we're 35 minutes into this podcast. I didn't think this movie was the greatest movie I've no, ever seen. I don't think it was. I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was fine. It was about 40 minutes too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I have some I have some problems with it genre wise that we can get into. But. Yeah, but I mean, if everyone is this movie again, I'll just watch a Buzz Life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but despite the issues that I had with this movie, I will I I did think Denzel was very good in it. I did I think he was fully bringing it, the full 100% Denzel could bring it? No. Probably not. But I don't think there was enough there for him to yeah, fully bring yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when he did say things like, you know, I'm a I'm a federally appointed marshal and a keeper of the peace in Arkansas, the Indian territories and seven other states, it 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 spoke to me. It it popped out because you know, I felt like, oh, there's Denzel being Denzel. And this is yes. what I'm here for. I also want to, my introduction to him showing up, uh, my notes were Denzel MF, which stands for motherfucking. <laughs> uh, Denzel motherfucking Washington shoots the motherfucking legs off the motherfucking chair. That was pretty cool. There's the guy that like, the guy at the bar like pulls the gun on him and he shoots the legs off the chair and the mm-hmm. guy falls down, which is pretty good. It was good. And then fucking Chris Pratt shows up. Yeah, so I didn't love Chris Pratt in this movie. And like I was saying earlier before, when when we were in the middle of talking about our uh, our hotness ranking, um, I don't think he really... There's something about him where he's like too anachronistic in the mm-hmm. time period. Mm-hmm. That was my real issue. Like I, can, I, like, I know what Chris Pratt is about. When I see him in a movie, I'm like, oh, he's going to do his Chris Pratt thing. Yeah. And I can like mentally prepare myself for that and like you know say oh this is the kind of movie it is but i didn't think that he actually fit into this world as well as the other six of Mm -hmm, the magnificent mm -hmm, seven mm -hmm. you know what i mean i don't think he fit into this world as well as everyone else and i the same character in every movie that's why it's the same character from jurassic world the same character mm -hmm. from avengers guardians Guardians of the galaxy Star was he in Star Wars? If so, he would have played the same character. No, but I do think he works in Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy. Like that he is Peter Star Lord. Yeah, he's But that's because that was the first time he was like that. That's the thing. That was his jump start to like blockbuster movie done. That was a movie that changed him the most before there was just Parks and Rec. That's why Guardians of the Galaxy works well for him. Everwood, hold your horses. He was he was bright Abbott in Everwood. (laughs) 
um no yeah but i i, to- I totally understand what you're saying um i but i what this movie did actually make me think was would he be right to play a young indiana jones mm. like if there was a franchise that if there was a franchise that needed chris pratt for some reason i feel like i could see him as indiana jones more than probably any other you know i think the problem with chris pratt is that he like okay harrison ford is like to me smarmy but charming Mm -hmm. chris pratt is just full-on smarmy yeah I used to this is, but this is a me problem and i know other people have it too and i can't i know that you can't account for taste but like i just chris pratt just bothers me i just find him really annoying yeah i think because i have a very long history with chris pratt i can like see past his last you know decade of work i know and that's the thing when i watch him in parks and rec i'm not bothered by him at all yeah because like, oh i love andy he's great yeah but then I see like anything else he does, and I'm just like, ugh. Well, I-, I, I truly believe, and not to analyze this human being as a real person, I just feel like, like he he changed in personality between those two projects, and I think mm-hmm. it was I think that because he changed himself physically in terms of his stature, and I truly do believe that like changing your physical stature to that degree does cause changes in your personality. From like every example I've seen of someone I've known, like yeah. Not to say that you shouldn't work out. out. (laughs) Working out is bad, uh, and we do not like it on this podcast. (laughs) I've been I've been working out with my Nintendo Switch. It's been great. So I'm. It's just a fact. I will say that like the majority of people, when like they undergo that kind of physical transformation, they parts of their personality will change. Especially when like you're you're also in all these macho hero roles compared to like Andy. Bless you. Who Andy was my macho hero. Mm -hmm. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean it might just be the characters he plays, I don't know, but I just I find him annoying. Yeah. Well, one fun thing he does in this movie though is he does card tricks. Yes. And he has his ability of sleight of hand, I guess as you would say, one of the seven skills that Haley Bennett acquired. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. <laughs> it, it allows him to, you know, trick people with guns as well. Yes. So he has a gun pointed at him at the beginning of the film. There are two guys that are trying to, you know, get money from him or something. And he's able to to trick them, shoot one of the guys and then shoot the ear off the other one, which was pretty visceral. I got to yeah. say that ear thing. Pretty I'm visceral. I'm glad he shoot the entire ear off. He just get left a, a chunk of it. Yeah. But you see that chunk. He but that left was the hearing part on. That was the moment I realized, wow, a lot of people die in the West. Like, their lives just... <laughs> yeah well it's a million dies ways to die in the west or whatever yeah what is that movie called Ten thousand, ten million, a million a million ways to die in the west yeah okay that's what i said i knew it's it. true like that's who ha- listen if people fantasize the west just play oregon trail and get over it <laughs> so yeah so chris pratt uh joins denzel washington to help the farmers take down uh bogue yeah so Haley bennett like asks denzel to join to to help the town and it does not take much convincing yeah he, he just she needs l- to know who that bogue is the enemy and he's like i'm a i'm a i'm a and we never really find out why until the end but yeah, yeah well i mean he's he's resistant at first and then um when it's some man that came with her is asking and then she's very insistent and then she's she name drops Bogue, and that's when he becomes interested. Mm-hmm. So we know kind of that there's something specific about Bogue that Denzel yeah. Washington wants to, 
you know, that makes him want to take him down. Yeah. And then they honestly, like, go into, I was going to detail, but they gather the other five members very, very quickly, like, within, like, ten minutes. Like, yeah. they're like, hey, this is Vasquez. He's on the run, but if you help us, <laughs> I won't go after you anymore. He's like, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Pratt and- joins because he wants his horse back. Yeah. Well, Denzel buys his horse. Yes. And um, he'll get it back and if he'll he get helps it back out. If he, yeah, exactly. Vasquez joins with the promise of he won't be hunted anymore. And then Billy and Ethan Hawke join at the same time. Yeah, basically. because they're... I, I mean, we should talk a little bit about their relationship. Their they're They're a duo. Yes. They, um, you know, Ethan Hawke plays a character named Goodnight Robichaux, which I feel like we should address. Yes. He's, he's described as a Cajun, which made me so nervous that he was going to have, like, a really thick, uh, like, James French... James Carville accent. Yeah. Like, French Cajun Southern accent. <laughs> Because we've we've talked about this a couple times. Well, actually, I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod so much, but we saw Tesla at the drive-in recently, mm-hmm. and he was playing Nikola Tesla, and he tr- was kind of doing an Eastern European accent, but it was not amazing. The most convincing, yeah. Not the most convincing. Um, and I feel like there was another instance that we talked about in the car <laughs> of Ethan Hawke not doing a great accent work mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just at his best when he can do a little Southern, you yeah, know? a little twang. He can do a little twang. A little touch twang. Because he's from Texas. Mm-hmm. Not he's really supposed funny. to be Cajun in the movie. He's supposed to be Cajun, and I didn't get that. Yeah, yes, that's what we're talking about. So, like, I actually think it's better that he didn't commit to Cajun yeah, because yeah. I think it would have been really bad because I just don't think that's his strength. Yeah. He did commit to that Billy Goat beard, which wasn't. <laughs> he did. Well, I don't think that was his choice, probably. I'm sure that was, uh, you know. I mean, he looks like that often. He See, does. He yeah, that's true. Both, uh, beard in alive. He had the power to say no to this. So don't think I've forgotten about that. <laughs> true. Yeah. So we're talking about Ethan Hawke and uh, as Goodnight Show. Yes. So we're introduced to him and Billy at the same time. Yes. And Billy is having a duel with someone in basically like a little pig pen. Yeah. And uh, they basically the duel is like you shoot a gun and you're supposed to shoot like a can off the edge of the thing or whatever. Whatever it is. A non-lethal duel. Mm-hmm. But the guy says like, let's let's do it for real. Yeah. And so Billy sets his gun down and they're about to have this duel for real where one of them is presumably going to die. And Billy pulls, and when and when the when the you know starting gun is fired, Billy pulls a like a pin a pin out of his hair, throws it into the heart of the other guy. Yeah, I was so turned on by that. Who I was it? Cannot, and Ethan Hawke is just chilling on the edge of the fence. Mm-hmm. Comes around and basically like collects the money for this little performance. And then we don't really know too much about him at this point. Um, but what we like, the, the thing that gives us information about him is that one guy is like, ah, oh, like bullshit. I'm not going to pay you. And then the other guy's like, no, don't listen to him, Mr. Robichaux. It's fine. Like he's so nervous for his friend that his friend's about to die because mm-hmm. he like bad mouthed, you know, good night, Robichaux. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you. And then he's like, it's okay. You'll just pay double. Yeah. You know, so Goodnight Robo Show is is scary to people. That's mm-hmm. that's a thing that we learned in this in this scene. Yeah, like and his we f- nickname is like the Angel of Death or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we physically see Billy Rocks kill someone, but like everyone's really afraid of Goodnight Robo Show. He's like the real. 
I didn't understand that at the moment. I couldn't hear because the rip version I was watching, which, you know, don't do what I do. Was, you could um, have rented it for like $2. Okay, I also could have just not and watched it for, <laughs> like I did. So. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not watching a goddamn Les Mis that's about the words they're saying. I'm I sorry, I would have Venmoed you. I would have given you access to our, our Redbox account. Jorge was morally opposed to giving money to Ethan Hawke's Billy Goatbeard. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was like, mm, choices. Yeah. So we see um, then after Chris Pratt and uh, the other guy, what's his, uh, Teddy Q? Mm-hmm. Teddy Q, they go to get Ethan Hawke and Billy Rocks, gonna show Billy Rocks, and they bring them to Denzel and Haley Bennett and Vasquez. So there, we've got five of the seven together yes. now. And um, I really, I was really like looking out for this scene where Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke met in this movie yeah. or reunited in this movie because I was like, oh, this is like the first time they've been together on screen since training day. So it's got to be yeah. like, you know, I, I just got to look you, out. You got to, yeah. Got to look out. And uh, Denzel Washington says, rain ain't nothing but wet. And then Ethan Hawke says, what we lose in the fire, we find in the ashes. And then they like embrace. <laughs> Yeah, they trade a bunch of like nonsense yeah. slogans. <laughs> that's that's. Funny. I feel like that's just Ethan Hawking, Samuel Jackson. Like they just speak in like friends. Denzel. I have to leave this podcast. <laughs> I'm like had. I'm almost out with my glass of wine. I'm. So, I don't know what we're even talking about. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not drunk on your podcast. It's a magnificent. Story. No, that's okay. It's fun. Listen, we watched a movie with a bunch of guys doing some cowboy stuff. I can. can uh, I can say without a doubt, the next person they get is Vincent D'Onofrio because I remember that they're mm-hmm. at his house. Someone's there talking to them, and then you just see an axe fly at this guy, and Vincent D'Onofrio's like, "You." stole my house or some or property i don't know and they're like yo vincent you want to come with us to save a town and he just walked away which i thought was him refusing it but then five minutes later he was with them i'm like oh i guess he was down okay he was on the clown yeah he he the guys these guys are like oh we we killed him and we took his rifle because we threw him off a cliff but then vincent d'onofrio shows up and he's very much <laughs> mm-hmm. alive kills those two dudes and takes his rifle back and he has this like a uh, very exaggerated manner of speaking yeah well, it's like it was sort of high-pitched well yeah what was interesting to me is um it sounds not too different from the way that i sound when i'm having a vocal cord mm. problem so i feel like i don't know if it was like something if it was like a choice or if there I was think some, it was a choice yeah but it was uh, it was just interesting because that like the specific sound that he got to with his voice was exactly what i sound like Mm -hmm. when i can't talk yeah Yeah. it was interesting um and then uh uh they're camping out and uh native rides up on them yes um denzel so happens to speak he's a comanche yes denzel so happens to speak comanche and uh gets him to join the his name is Red Harvest, mm-hmm. and he's played. Heart. Yeah, he's played by Martin Sensmeer, and yeah, they eat some kind of organ from inside the animal that he has. Yeah. Just like, raw. Yeah, just raw. I think it was a heart. It looked good. 
It didn't. It looked more like a. I don't know, like a liver or something. Like it was, it was like a flat. Thin. It was yeah, like a the flat thin slab of something. It yeah. looked like a very thick fruit gummy strip. Let's yeah. call it a pancreas. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Some kind of internal organ. They both yeah. took a bite out of it in some kind of like show of trust and respect, you know. And um, then Red Harvest uh, joins the gang, and mm-hmm. they're finally magnificent at the full seven. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, I I did want to say there was one other good Ethan Hawke line that night before Red Harvest joins them. Um, he says, we have heard the chimes at midnight, have we not? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the most Wild West line of this movie to me is when uh, earlier in this movie where uh, Haley Bennett is basically explaining what their cause is to Denzel Washington. And he says, so you seek revenge. And then she says, I seek righteousness, as should we all. But I'll take revenge. So like, good. Ooh, damn. We'll take revenge. Yeah, there were so many, there were like so many good Western lines in yeah. this movie. Overall, this movie I don't think was great, but it did have some lines that really delivered for me. I like this movie apparently more than you both. <laughs> but that's because I literally did a PowerPoint on why Tim Burns' Alice in Wonderland is a great movie. So obviously, my taste in movies is questionable at best. Mm-hmm. And then also, <laughs> there's the line where, um, uh, where Denzel kills the like the sheriff of the town or whatever, mm-hmm. and the sheriff is like who the sheriff is like under basically paid for by by Bogue by Bogue Bogues, yeah whatever um and he's like I'm the duly elected uh, sheriff of this town oh he says I'm still sheriff duly elected yes and then Denzel says consider this a recall yeah it's like ooh but also really I cool. love that. And then he, you just see Chris Pratt like looking at the badge, like, "Oh fuck, the sheriff! I hope he dies." I'm sorry, I shouldn't. I think he doesn't actually kill him; he lets him go. But he tells him to go to Bogue and let let him know. Yes, exactly. And then Denzel says to everyone, "Like, uh, we only got seven days to prepare." And they're like, "Oh, I thought we had three weeks." And he's like, three days to get there and send the message. Three days for him to come back." Mm -hmm. And then you're like, "Yeah, the grasshoppers come when the leaves turn white." So we have to make sure we fight back against them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to say one thing. So when they do meet with the sheriff and all of his deputies, it does turn into a big shootout situation. They kill almost everyone except for the sheriff himself, who they send back to Bogue, and also Cam Jigande from Burlesque and the OC. Um, and um, his butt was the best part of Burlesque. <laughs> He's an icon. The man's an icon. Um, and they they both get sent back to Boke. But in this big um, standoff, we do learn something important about Ethan Hawke. Yes. Um, he, he, does not sh- he doesn't shoot anyone. Yeah, he doesn't shoot anyone. He has, he multiple has opportunities. a... And, like, he responds, like... like pretty viscerally to the gunfire when when he like hears it going past him he like hisses at it yeah um and he he has a shot perfectly lined up to to like shoot someone and um he just can't do it and billy covers for him he takes the gun he's like oh it's jammed you know but but chris pratt sees it and he knows yeah so chris pratt basically from that point on is suspicious of uh yeah kind of suspicious of ethan hawk Mm mm-hmm 
Um, but yeah. if they tell the townsfolk, you're like, okay, so like we freed you for now, but you're gonna come back. So who's ready for some Barry's Boot Camp Gun Edition? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a shooting session with Ethan Hawke where he's trying to teach all the guys how to shoot, mm-hmm. and there's so many of these townsfolk, and they all are missing. Yeah. The, there's like the four, targets. three or four big targets, and yeah. they they completely miss all of them. Yeah, and um, Ethan Hawke like screams at them. You gotta hate what you're firing at. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, important scene between Chris Pratt yes. and Ethan Hawke, where Chris Pratt comes up to him, gives him the gun, and says, "Well, why don't we show them how it's done?" Yeah, and he's basically like, "I know it's up with you," but mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke is easily able to shoot the, um shoot the targets perfectly in in one spot over and over so the issue isn't shooting it's killing Mm -hmm. more importantly billy has a knife seminar and i'm there intently taking notes as he's talking because i hang on to every word and then everyone just kind of leaves because they don't want to do knives and i'm like what is wrong with you people if i was into someone i'd be like knives sum me the fuck up (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean he's like he's truly an expert with those knives and i think they all see like there's no way that we're gonna get a handle on this in a week yeah i would (laughs) have yeah so they're basically all just preparing they're gonna like hunker down and they're preparing the town for bogue to show up with his men Mm -hmm. and they know it's gonna be a lot of people which it is so they're basically like they're preparing the guns, they're preparing the bombs, they're preparing whatever they can do to uh, well, take the, down Bogue. Yeah, well, the way they get, so they realize they need more explosives, more ammunition, and also probably more men. They go to Bogue's mine, which is on yes. the other side of the town, and they they basically they take out all of like the you know the top level people there, and then all of the workers who probably are more like indentured servants. Yeah. You know, like they, they like, are like, they come back and they helped in the fight against Bogue. Mm-hmm. They come back to the town. And so when they're there, they also get like a shitload of dynamite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like a whole scene where the guys are, where the Magnificent Seven themselves are plotting their defense. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, like they're talking and they're sitting around the table, but it keeps cutting back and forth to this like really gratuitous shot that I loved so much. This is maybe one of my favorite shots in the movie of just the guys like walking down the street, like, ooh, we're tough action guys. <laughs> we're surveying the town, mm-hmm. uh, hands in our pockets. You know, it was really fun. I liked that a lot. Yeah. I wonder what the porn parody of this movie was called. What'd you say? The porn parody. I wonder parody. what the porn parody of this movie was called. The Magnificent? I don't know. <laughs> Magnificent is... Sev in. Like That's, an that I. Magnificent... That's so bad. <laughs> the Magnificent Seven way. Yeah. Um... Well, there's another one, but I don't feel comfortable saying it. Ah, I got it. You can't say that because you're straight. Yes. And I'm not going to say it. But you you yes. know, the audience can fill in the blanks. I'm lost. You replace the first letter of Magnificent with another letter. Oh, wait. Gagnificent. There we go. Less <laughs> offensive. Just one letter over. 
It's like how years ago there? there was like a porn uh, character yeah. Occupy Wall Street that was called Occupy My Throat when it should have been Cockupy <laughs> Wall Street. And I'll never get over Yeah, that. I know. For real. <laughs> um Okay, so this is um around the time when I did fall asleep last night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I did know that I fell asleep. I knew it and I kind of was registering what was going on, but I didn't take notes on it. So today I went back and I rewatched this 20 minute period where I kind of, uh, was out of it yesterday. Um, and there's a big scene with Ethan Hawke around this time. Yes. Um, with it's Ethan Hawke and Denzel Washington. Again, I'm kind of tuned into their mm-hmm. exchanges. Yeah. They, they, they know each other. They've, you know. Yeah, yeah. They have a long history, and I feel like you know because they they were in training day together. That's kind of believable that they because yes, they did yeah. work to, they, like the two of them as humans worked together in the past, and mm-hmm. now they're these characters, and that's their part of it. The intertext of it all, you know. Mm-hmm. I love talking mm-hmm. about intertext. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we kind of get a little bit more insight about Ethan Hawke and what's going on with him because he's starting to like leave, like he's just gonna jet out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he basically has PTSD. Yeah. But, you know, it's like before the they even called it shell shock. As it said. Huh? They call from the war of Northern aggression. As called. Yes. He called it the war of Northern aggression. Um, but yeah. So he says, uh, the killing ain't over. It keeps going on and on and on. And uh, Denzel Washington replies, the war is over for both of us. What we lost in the fire, we'll find in the ashes, which call back to, you know, what they had said earlier. Um, That's what Ethan Hawke said to him earlier. And now Mm -hmm. Denzel Washington Mm -hmm. saying back to him as a reminder. Um, And then he says, I need you. And also Denzel is a northerner. Yes, he is. And um, And yeah, we learned. What are you doing with, you know, like southern trader like me or whatever? And he's like, the war is over. Yeah, that's we learned in the scene. Yeah, that uh, Denzel saved him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Uh. But yeah, then Ethan Hawke's just like pretty devastated, and he says, "I've become everything I despise. I'm faint-hearted and I'm a coward. Remember me as I was." And then he leaves before the fight. Mm-hmm. Tragic. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the rest of them kind of have like they see him ride off, and they kind of have like a little bit of a "and my axe" moment, you know, from Lord of the Rings. Except for they don't all do it. It's really mostly Vincent D'Onofrio says something about like how he's so honored to like do a good thing with good men that he mm-hmm. believes in, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But it did feel, I I was kind of wishing, and I mean, if they had done this, I would have made fun of it. But because they didn't do it, I feel like it was missing a little bit of that and my axe, mm-hmm. you know? Like I wanted, because... So Vincent D'Onofrio says that whole thing and then Denzel Washington's like, all right. And he kind of walks away and then Chris Pratt stands up and then I thought he was going to say something too, like, you know, I, I'm happy to be part of the team, you know, whatever. Uh, Avengers but they, Assemble. Avengers Assemble, but they don't really get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the big fight. And this is definitely when I kind of like perked up last night when I was mm-hmm. falling asleep because the bell starts clanging. Yeah, they're riding yeah. in a dawn. Yeah, that's always the there. There are two times when things happen in Western movies: high noon and dawn. Those are the two options. Mm-hmm. 
What is high noon? Is that just 12? I think that's just noon. When yeah. the sun is up in the top of the sky. Yeah, I think if that's... I the... was in a Western movie, I'd ask to do it at like the morning so I could get brunch after. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just want to get your shit out of the way before you go get your mimosas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be. Ner- you don't want to spend the whole morning like nervous about it. You know. Yeah, no. You yeah, want to no. get it I over like- at dawn. Then go to drag brunch with your cowboy gang. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, a drag western that'd be great. Oh, that kind of exists though. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Have you ever seen that movie? Hold I on. haven't. It's- I I am a bad gay. I, I I. It has drag queens and it's a road trip movie. It's two things I love. I should watch it. I've just been too not emotionally in a place to watch any kind of movie. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel. Um, I This fight scene is like almost half an hour long. Yeah, it's really long. It's really long. Um, I, I mean, get we it. We basically spent the whole movie building up to it. Yeah, I get it. I actually, I know I criticized it earlier for being too long, but I actually, I do understand why the movie is as long as it is. If I had been maybe the, you know, distributor, I might have, or the producer, I might have come in and said, hey, let's just like shave off 15 minutes. I know what's in here. But like from Antoine Fuqua's perspective, I completely understand why this movie is two hours hours and 12 12 minutes. minutes. Yes. I totally get it. Um, You know, you want to have all that time building up the team. You want to have all like the slow moments that really call back to the Western origins. Um, you want to have that time with the t- in the town, you know. You want he like I get wanting to have all of that time, and you mm. want to have this big fight at the end. Um, and stuff does happen, you know. Plenty of stuff. Yeah, they uh, have the dynamite going. Yeah. Um, Chris Pratt gets like really shot in the gut. Yeah. But he keeps going. He keeps going. He's unstoppable. Very deeply. Very deeply, like there's a lot of blood in this movie. Thankfully, not as much as there definitely could have been. Yeah. Um, Ethan Hawke comes back. He rides in on a horse, and then he's yeah, and he lets them know about the Gatling gun. Yes. So there's a scene where Peter Sarsgaard is like, uh, "Go get the um, he calls it go get the wagon." Mm. He says, "Go get the wagon." I'm like, "Oh, they're talking about a Gatling gun." That's. I didn't know what that meant at all because I was confused because they did a. Someone did a thing that was kind of like a circling the wagons and trapped some guys in and killed and like, sh- you know, they shot them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, wagon, this activity that's like circling the wagons. That's what he was talking about. I don't know. Yeah. I had no idea. Having played a, a Western themed video game, mm. I'm familiar with the deadly power of a Gatling gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, with the deadly power of a horse versus technology. Horse versus technology, classic. Yeah. I didn't know that um, guns were cowboy things. I saw that and I was like, oh my god, is this a laser gun? <laughs> yeah, um, so they they yeah, Ethanox shows up and they roll out the Gatling gun and they're basically they're the the townsfolk are in trouble because the mm-hmm. this gun is basically tearing up the whole town and killing a lot of them. So wait, sorry, did we say that Emma was gonna take Ethanox's place? Oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the role was going to be to be from above and keep his eye on Tycoon, whose name I'm too drunk to remember right now. Bogue. Bogue. He yeah. was to keep the gun on Bogue at all times, and after he left, Emma's like, "I'll do it," and I'm like, "Yes, queen!" <laughs> <laughs> and so she does that, and I'll, like you know, like a queen, she she kills people, and I'm like, 
I have no choice but to stand, which by the way, just saying the way we're describing this movie, it sounds like it's literally like an hour and 20 minutes from the way we're saying like, plot, <laughs> but it's so much longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about 50 minutes longer than that. Um, yeah, but in this, so one other thing that happens, Vincent D'Onofrio, he gets shot with four arrows before he dies. Yes. Like pretty close to, it yeah. takes a lot to take down Vincent D'Onofrio. And he says something biblical. Yeah. I'm sure he does. Mm-hmm. I didn't write it down though. Yeah, me neither. Um, and then there's a big showdown between Red Harvest and Denali, who Denali is the Native American guy that's working for Bogue. Yeah. The Kopach, Kopach tribe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Kopachi. They're a Kopachi tribe according, a tribe according to Wikipedia. Hmm. Oh, Comanche? No. Oh. Red Harvest was Comanche. Oh. But Denali. That's made. the one. That's the one. I'm sorry. Oh, Comanche? Yeah, Comanche. They were all okay. they're Comanche tribe. I think they both are. Okay. Yeah, I don't think they explicitly say where Denali is from, but they do say that uh, that Red Harvest. I wonder if they work with actual Native American groups for this or not. Probably. I, not. I doubt it. But the uh, but the actor, the guy that played Red Harvest, was was Native American. I don't know. My my expectations now for any kind of media dealing with with groups like that is just so high now because there's this game my friend has been playing that has like transgender and Native American representation and they literally work with Glad and like Native American groups to get the representation just right. And it's so well done that my expectations now for any other media is just so high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we should be holding people to those standards, but that doesn't always so happen. Yeah, and the thing is like watching this, I don't know if what I'm watching is like, authentic to them or just like bastardization of their culture i don't know it's like i'm for, like i've just been so like what's the word i'm looking for just like like so much media just like doesn't represent native americans in, in like an accurate way that i can't help but wonder if like is this like actually their culture or is this just like white media like playing up to expectations yeah, and I think that's the hard part with Westerns in general because, like, Western, you know, like, Cowboys, it represents such a tiny, tiny sliver of American history before the railroad, and it's uh, such, it's so exaggerated and, like, played up this whole vigilantism and things like that, that, but, you know, when you have, like, when you exaggerate parts of cowboy culture, it doesn't hurt anyone. But when you exaggerate parts of like, you know, Native American, yeah, um, tribes and things like that, it actually has a uh, substantive effect on like people that are that are alive today. So that's kind of the like, that's kind of the like the line with Western movies is like you want to include Native Americans because they were such an integral part of the history, Mm -hmm. but you also want to be careful because. Western movies are so based on, like... I mean, they're based on Japanese samurai movies. There's nothing real about them. So you want to balance, like, the realness of Native American culture with, like, the the sort of exaggerated elements of a Western movie. And I think, I think finding that balance can be difficult. And I think this movie did, did not do it perfectly. But it was nice to have a, a hero in that. 
Uh, yeah, no, I just like I don't know like I think I've just been so like jaded from so much American media, just like not doing Native Americans justice to just like ever go into anything that represents them and not think that it's bastardization, which it could be very well done. It's just but yeah, you're right. I think like I mean, no matter what, the cowboy genre will always have problematic words in that. Well, there's an article here from the Kansas City Star. Uh. That says, oh, hold on. Maybe it's from a different group. The Magnificent Seven gets rave reviews from one group, Amer- Oklahoma's Comanches. Wow. Oh, great. There we go. They did well, it. hold on. I haven't actually read this, though. Never this mind. <laughs> um, I think this is primarily about the use of the language in the movie. Mm. Um, it's the alternate headline for this. Because you know how Google sometimes shows <coughs> yeah, one headline yeah, yeah. and when you click on it, it says something else. It says, how one of America's oldest languages landed in Denzel Washington's latest film. So it's about um, the, like a Comanche group lobbying, I think, for the use of Comanche, the Comanche language um, in more media. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good at least. That's something. Yeah, Which I'm uh, then I I will say at least they had like that had him speaking his own language mo- like even when it's shown that like he spoke he can speak a bit of English they still didn't really lean in on that which I like because mm-hmm. most places will be like have the Native American just speak English which is like why yeah so Pula vice president of student and academic affairs at Comanche Nation College said it was like oh my god they're speaking Comanche this is a native person playing a native character speaking a native language. So That's on good. that front, at least I don't, I can't speak to, you know, more of the complexities of the character because there is kind of a little bit more going on, like about how he did actually speak English the whole time mm-hmm. is like, there's, it could be a little complicated and, um, uh, you know, in between the two native characters, yeah. you know, there is, there is some stuff that definitely I feel like could be criticized, but I can't really speak to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but if you people who like who are like of those tribes who are critical of it, like just know I'm on your side one hundred percent. I will never trust any white guy to tell a story about that includes people of color accurately. Yeah, well, I mean, this was directed by Antoine Fuqua, who is black. That's true. That's oh. True. Um, and he okay. he did intentionally. I mean, but he's not native, so you know. To rephrase, I never trust people to tell stories about cultures that are not their own in the most accurate ways like it's possible it's just not common yeah but i mean i I, the diverse casting of this movie was definitely intentional on his part Mm -hmm. um he did Mm -hmm. want to have definitely like you know not just a group of white guys he wanted to have people from different backgrounds um you know represented in this in this western and um i did read that uh you know, growing up, he watched a lot of Westerns with his grandma, and that was really his big inspiration was his grandma, and that, like, they, he'd show her the the dailies, and he'd ask her what she thought of them. Wow, that's right. so sweet. Wonder, like, the actor who played Billy is Korean, but, like, is, I think he's, in the movie, like, I'm freaking, like, they lie and say that he's from Shanghai, but I don't know if that's, like, a lie they're telling to, like, yeah, that in that scene they were lying in that, like you know, as just telling a story. I don't know if the character specifically is supposed to be Korean or Chinese, and it's just like you know, but the actor himself is Korean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also, I assume generally in that time, people just referred to all Asian people as Chinamen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah, not gonna ignore America's past. We are a country that is violent history. Anyways, so Gatling gun. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Lots of shooting. Gatling gun takes out a lot of people. And Chris Pratt has this big hero moment. Mm-hmm, he he does. rides up. Uh, he rides up on them, and then he gets shot a bunch of times, but survives. Yeah. He's getting covered though from um, Ethan Hawke and Billy, who are like on top of the tower. Yeah, they're in the church tower. Yeah. Yeah, and um, he he looks like he's like you know putting his last cigarette in his mouth, and he kind of plays on the sympathy of his opponent mm-hmm. who comes up to to light, light the his, cigarette yeah. and um and he he you know kind of keels over playing dead but then he he gets up and he like takes them all out with uh yeah his, did his cigar like, is oh, actually a stick of dynamite right okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah which is not red like it is in cartoons which was very surprising to me <laughs> <laughs> that's very true Oh, and but before that, if like Vincent D'Onofrio gets offed, and then like Ethan Hawke. Yeah, mm-hmm. they both Ethan Hawke and Billy both get taken out yeah. by the Gatling gun. And at that point, I'm just like, wow, the Magnificent Seven is dwindling in number very quickly. That's true. Yeah, I thought. I mean, the way that Ethan Hawke dies is so dramatic. Like he he gets shot so many times, and then he is like blown over the side of the tower, off the side of the roof, and like into the mud. Yeah, you know? it's just a really dramatic. Death I just scene. Like, did Billy stab anyone during that final fight, or did he just use guns? Like, did he just, just shooting from the tower? Like, he didn't use knives. He couldn't have shot. He couldn't have thrown knives from the tower. Because yeah. he'd like throw it at the Gatling gun and jam it with a knife, and then it would explode. Yeah, so then we get the final showdown between Peter Sarsgaard and Denzel Washington. Yes, and uh, Peter Sarsgaard crawls into the church. After uh, he gets shot in the hand. Yeah, the- yeah. Denzel shoots him after the, they have a little shootout. Denzel shoots him. Peter Sarsgaard crawls into the church and is like, you're a God-fearing man. You're not going to kill me in this church. The guy who had the church burned down. Yeah, yes. I just wanted to say like one of the best lines in this movie, kind of similar to that recall line earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another Denzel Washington singer. Um, Peter Sarsgaard says, Chisholm, should I know that name? And then Denzel Washington says, from your obituary. Yeah, I wrote that one so down So good. That's really good. So good. Um, but yeah, so in this scene, we learned that Chisholm's mother and sisters were raped and killed by Peter Sarsgaard's men. Yes. Yeah, and um, and then also that he was hanged, but he got away. Yeah, he has see. a big scar on his neck. Mm-hmm. But then Peter Sarsgaard pulls out a gun and is about to shoot Denzel, but our our queen Haley Bennett shows up. Yes, she does. And kills uh, kills Peter Sarsgaard. I I I screamed the entire time. Like, how fun would it be if Haley Bennett was the one who killed him? I hope it's her. And then when it was. Oh my, I'm sorry. I just love when a woman kills someone in a movie, which is bad. I know. But he was a bad man. So I think that was Meredith. Um, yeah, so Denzel uh, Red, what was his name? Red? Red Harvest. Red Harvest. Emma. And. Um, Vasquez. Yeah, they survive. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also Billy... Teddy Q survives. Right. Yes. Yes. We didn't really talk about him a lot. We but didn't talk about him. Yeah, but... he was he was kind of along for with the gang. Yeah, and then Billy 
Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Chris Pratt are all dead. Yeah, I wonder how they chose which of the seven would die. Is that, like, adapted from the original or, like... Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like Vasquez lived, but Billy couldn't. And then she says... Vasquez spoke Spanish in this movie. I was like, oh, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and he keeps calling uh, um, Chris Pratt Guerra. Little. Yeah. And the close, literally the closing line of this movie is she said, she says something about like how they were all heroes and they served a cause that was not their own, that was greater than themselves. And she says, it was magnificent. And then it and, ends. Yeah, it was magnificent seven, but she didn't. <laughs> yes, it was magnificent comma seven. Mm-hmm. And then it ends. Some incredible silliness. Yeah. So um, what are our uh, what are our feelings? It was fine. Like I understand why it was a, as I mentioned, I get why it's as long as it was. It was too long for me. I mean, also we had spent a long day out in the sun yesterday, mm-hmm. so I was really tired. Um, but I still probably would have had the same problem. I I don't know if we've talked about this on the show too much, but I fall asleep during every shootout in every movie that's ever happened like drive i've never stayed awake during drive mm-hmm. because of the shooting saving private ryan platoon these amelie. are all movies huh amelie <laughs> yeah amelie known for its big shootout scene um no <laughs> that... you never stayed awake through amelie so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have also never stayed awake through amelie but um specifically there's something about shootouts that lulls me to sleep i don't know if my parents like watched a lot of you know, action movies when my mom was pregnant with me or something. And that's just, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I will fall, fall asleep in any action, like shootout scene. Mm. Um, my kind of, this was not an exception. My kind of problem, like genre wise was that, you know, I mean, we had the other Ethan, uh, Ethan Hawk Western movie that we saw recently in a um, Valley of violence, in a Valley of violence. And that gave us a very kind of compelling, revenge motive which was they brutally killed his dog and they tried to kill him and you're like you know you kill his dog all right we're with you like once you kill someone's dog we're like all right we're with you in your path to revenge but here they kind of like all right we kill matt bomer too bad uh (laughs) (laughs) and then we kill um and then we learn later on that like denzel washington has his own motive for wanting to kill Bogue. We learned that at the very end, which to me, like to make a compelling revenge story, you have to have that motive from early on enough. I don't I just, I didn't feel like that was necessary. I guess I felt like it was, it was kind of like you knew that there was a reason it's mentioned it something about a sister is mentioned towards the beginning. Like, it was obvious that Denzel Washington had some grudge against this guy. Because there's no way that someone would agree so easily until he heard that name. And you know what it is. And you know it's coming. So, for me, it was more billing suspense. Because I knew we would find out what their history is. Yeah, but to me, it just kind of felt dropped in in order to, like, finish out the story. Like, it didn't feel... I don't know. To me, like, personally, like, I think a good revenge story, you need that visceral element of, like, oh, okay... You were like 
brutalized in such a way that you have to we have to see you get revenge on this person Mm -hmm. like you know in kill bill for example like we get we we get that like that revenge that that revenge is owed to her that she deserves it and to me like i just didn't feel like denzel deserved to get revenge on um on bug because we just like it's just like written in at the end like oh these are the things that happen and it, to me it just didn't like like you, you don't have to know that they need revenge the whole way through like i think a great example of that is old boy where this is like big twist where you find out like oh he the, he he was basically set up this entire time and you really feel like okay i'm with him now but this to me it just it it kind of felt like tacked in tacked on at the end of the movie in order to like fit the kind of revenge plot well the reason it might feel that way i was just reading the new york times review of this movie by manola dargis who Mm -hmm. we've heard from quite a bit on the show um she was talking about um she was it was mostly comparison to the 1960 version Mm -hmm. and um the revenge is not part of that movie interesting yeah it's it's mostly like he just is a do-gooder mm-hmm like he wants to help the people of this town and so the revenge was something that was just added on into this into this movie it wasn't part of the original yeah. story it just felt tacked on to me i have to say yeah but i mean there was some fun stuff especially like the writing and i think this goes back to like training day where there are so many like so many great lines that denzel has mm-hmm. that feel so like gritty crime movie there's so many lines in this movie that feel so gritty western movie just like, uh, you know, I mean, especially like when, when she says, I seek righteousness, as should we all, but I'll take revenge. Like, that's just that's just such a great, like, Western line. Yeah, definitely. Um, did we have a most Ethan Hawke? Oh, okay. So I also had, besides a most Ethan Hawke line, I had a most 2020 line. <laughs> There's a part where the guys are hiding under the trenches and they're about to blow up the dynamite. And one of the guys says, mask up nice yeah and they all put their bandanas over their face and i'm like oh that's 2020 um yeah let me see if i have a most ethan hawk line i feel like i kind of hit all of mine mm-hmm. while we were talking yeah my my most ethan hawk line was fame is a sarcophagus yeah i wrote that down yeah. i didn't mention that but i did write that down um that was that was my favorite line actually nice I also was like, I've become everything I despise mm-hmm. because it's it's so melodramatic. Because to me, like, famous sarcophagus is something he would say in an interview. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I also thought um, this reminds me of what my my daddy used to say. Feels mm-hmm. really Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he's- that, that, that part was fun because he says, this reminds me of what my daddy used to say. And then he, and then the guy's like, "What did he say?" And he's like, "Well, he used to say a lot of things." <laughs> and that was it. And then they both die. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like he was really comfortable in this like southern emotional southern man role. And I did enjoy this movie. Like uh, all your issues with it, Jonathan. I think that the reason I don't have him is because I just am not well versed in the western genre. So mm-hmm. let's like. I'm sure that other Western movies, if I love this, would I would absolutely adore them all. But I don't know. It had fun action scenes. I went with low expectations. I, it was good. I, then I found out it wasn't reviewed as well as I would have thought. But it also kind of made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, Jonathan, do you have something to share with us? Sure. I gotta go grab a uh, hawk back. Yes, Jorge, would you like to do a hawk noise? <laughs> Beautiful. I think that sounds a lot like your first hawk noise, if I recall. Okay, I'll, I'll do it differently this time. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, you should do whatever you feel in your heart. No, no, I need to differentiate. Kaka! <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Or, or, caca? Mm, inquisitive. Very. So, in this movie, as fans of this podcast will know, our beloved Ethan Hawke and Denzel Washington are reunited. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to look into Hawks being reunited. Um, so I was looking into uh, this story, which was from Huffington Post, which is about a baby red-tailed hawk which fell out of um, fell out of a tree, and they found it on the ground. And this baby hawk, they looked at it, and they found that it was not. It somehow had fallen all the way off this tree and had not been injured. Hmm. Um, and this. Uh, arborist named Jim Cairns of Small World Tree Company in San Anselmo, California. He climbed up the tree and helped. He was basically looking for, he climbed up a hundred foot, hundred plus foot pine and looked for the nest of the red-tailed hawk. And uh, he saw, as he was climbing up, he saw one of the parent red-tailed hawks flew past him and landed in the tree. And they set up a nest made out of, like, a basket, basically. And they put the... um, They put the hawk back in the... The baby hawk back in the nest. Mm -hmm. And the uh, red-tailed hawk parent was only 10 feet away from... uh, From him. (gasps) And did not seem disturbed, despite the fact that he was Oof. near this uh, parent's younglings. Stressful. And setting up a little basket there. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Uh, Karen's gently extracted the baby from the bag and set her in the wicker basket. Uh, as she did in our care, this baby, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so kind of kind of cool. He He... he this dude climbed up the tree and saved the baby. Did I talk about my hawk story in the last episode I was on? Um, my university had a big bunny problem, so we had a hawk on campus to curb the bunny population. So while we'd be used to walking to class and seeing cute bunnies, we'd also be seeing bunny corpses. Because oh, my God. God. <laughs> and so I made this Facebook page because I was like talking to my roommate, Coco. I was like, what do white people love that we can capitalize on for popularity? So we copied Humans of New York and made a Humans of Adelphi Facebook page, as you may remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I posted a photo I took of the hawk, and I called it Lonadel Hawk, and that, that was its official name from that point onwards. Wow. Beautiful. Amazing. Now, I, I, remember the, I remember the Humans of Adelphi, but this hawk story is definitely yeah, new to me. Yeah, this is new. I had never heard this before. Influence, I gained influence just to be the official name namer of our campus, Bunny Killing Hawk. Amazing. Um, is that, what is it? What are, are the hawks for in New York? Do they control rat population? Is that what they were? Oh, in New Jersey? The oh, story New Jersey? I shared before, like when they're on the beach? Maybe. 
Well, I think they do have them in New York for the rats. And then I think also in New Jersey, because they had them around for the seagulls. Oh, okay. So they weren't trying to kill the seagulls. They were just trying to keep them away. Keep so them if away. a seagull sees uh, a hawk, it's just not going to land anywhere nearby. Yeah. Well, I knew there weren't too many hawks in New York before, but that the population had grown. And I thought that was because of yes, the rat I control. Think that, yeah. I think that was also, that was, yeah. A, yeah I think hawks are, are somewhat commonly used for, for population rodent control. control. Animals. Yeah. 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 Hawks are just a vital part of the circle of life. They That's are. so true. It's a wheel of fortune. And Ethan Hawke is a crucial part of the film ecosystem. He is. Yeah. You know, really forget Kevin Bacon. It's all about seven degrees of, six degrees of Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Yeah, we'll do seven degrees. Seven degrees just to make it easier, easier for us. <laughs> yeah, when we're playing Cinephile, although there is no Ethan Hawk card in Cinephile, and I did once a message to them about it, the creators of the game. Criminal. And they said, not in this one, but maybe in an expansion pack. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, um, well I've been Harper. You can find me on the internet at Harping About. And something I've been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawk this week is the West Wing Weekly, which is a wonderful podcast by Joshua Molina and Rishi K. Shearway um, that I have previously listened to seasons five through seven of this podcast, but I'm currently doing a rewatch of the West Wing. So I wanted to go back and listen to those earlier episodes of the West Wing Weekly along with the show as I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just very good. They get great interviews, and they love the show a lot. I mean, obviously Joshua Molina was on it, and was good friends with Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just great to listen to them uh, talk about it, and they're like, just great to listen to. I love it. Very nice, Jonathan. Well, I'm Jonathan. You can find me on IG and Letterbox at John Zavaleta. Um, a thing I've been enjoying. Uh, well, we we've been watching Quora. Did we mention that before? No, I don't think we have. We've been watching the. F- we just finished this first season of Quora, I believe. Yeah, we're on we're season on two the now. Second season. The, uh, legend it's, it's the Legend of Quora. The Legend of Quora. Excuse me. It's uh, it's not Avatar, but it's a high standard to live up to. Um, and yeah. I think it's uh, a a fun and entertaining show. It's a, yeah, it's a fun continuation of the universe, and I've heard that season three is where it's at. So yeah, we're not there have- yet. Okay. Can we guess just finish it? We talked about it yesterday. He hated season two, and I told him just wait for season three, and he just messaged me after watching three and four back-to-back. He's like, holy shit. I'm like, I know. Yeah. The best thing I can talk about, Korra, is that, like, The Last Airbender is about a boy learning, is about a human tr- learning to be the avatar. Korra is about an avatar learning to be a human. Damn. I don't care That's so true, much. because, um, you know, Aang says at the beginning, like, I never wanted to be the avatar. That's why I hid. Mm. And then Korra, in season two, the episode we just watched, she yeah. said, all I ever wanted to be was the Avatar. I never it's wanted true. a normal childhood. What a- so like, people true. like to compare them, but I don't think it's a fair comparison because they have the opposite stories. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. Well, Jorge, where can the people find you? Um, what have you been enjoying? And do you have anything else to plug? Okay, well, you can find me on Instagram at grilledcheesy, grilled underscore C-H-I-S-I. Something I've been enjoying was I talked earlier about this game with transgender representation. It's called I can't. Remember. <laughs> I'm gonna Google, Google this one. It. Yes, uh, tell me why. It's called, tell me why it's got the first playable transgender character in any major studio game ever. Mm-hmm. 
the studio worked with Glad directly so hard on getting it right. They have an FAQ on the website of the game, basically answering questions about like, do they have do they face microaggressions? Do they have violence against them? Like, it's just so well done and so tastefully done that I just like love it, and it's just a new standard for me in terms of representation. He's also super hot, so you know that also. Helps. <laughs> um, any other projects I've been doing? Um, not much, really. You know, not much to do right now, but you know, staying sane and taking baths. Do you think maybe Crucial. you and uh, you and Nicole will get back into craving the D now that uh, you have a little more time on your hands? Yes, um, I do have the time. Do I have the emotional <laughs> place for to, to commit to literally anything right now? is another question maybe i'll talk to her about it we've just been too busy raging about the new season of big brother which is awful mm. it started off strong then after two days it went downhill and we hate it fuck this show That's fine. yikes if you want if is you it listen the all stars one yes and it's awful because once again it's the white guys controlling it voting on everyone who isn't a white guy they voted off janelle who's a queen i'm and keisha who's a queen i'm not over it i'm very hurt did you see that tweet I sent you this morning about Big Brother? No, they sent it to me on Twitter because I haven't checked. I don't check Twitter anymore. I like blocked smart. it. Smart. Oh, that is smart. smart. Um, I yeah, blocked- I did send it to you on Twitter. Okay, I blocked Twitter for mental health reasons. So, like, if you're gonna send me anything, do it. I'll send it externally via Messenger. Um, yeah, I think it was it was Edgar Montplaisir, friend of the pod. He said, if I was on Big Brother, my game strategy would be just take naps. These fools are awake and telling people their secrets and getting stabbed in the back. I'd be dead asleep and out of people's minds. That's a good strategy. <laughs> I've thought about what mine would be. And it's just, I literally just talk shit to everyone, make everyone hate me. And then no one's going to vote me out because they know that they can't beat me. That no, everyone knows that they can beat me at the end. So, you know, and wow. point, I'd rather win second place and be America's favorite for, keep, you know, for calling out all the racist white people. Mm-hmm beautiful i just be like god i hate you all i i don't have the patience for it i did a drunk audition tape for big brother and i didn't send it in because upon sober playback i was like i will get selected if i send this in and i am not (laughs) jorge i would absolutely love it if you were on big brother yeah me too i would watch it it would be my first season of big brother i've ever watched i would watch it and dvr every episode so i I would be great television but i also just to be trapped in a house with like racist white people taking control i just would have zero patience like i either i'd either be out first or make it to the end there is no in between just just think of america as a giant big brother house like you're trapped in a country with racist white people Yikes. who are trying to screw you over well well <laughs> thanks so much for joining us for this episode of hot guys um well, thank you for having me i'm so happy you invited me back after i was like wow i can't believe you didn't invite me back but you've invited other people back yeah it was um uh the the kick in the pants we needed to get you back on the show <laughs> uh, <laughs> um well thanks everybody for listening and uh stay hockey that was <laughs> awful stay magnificent Stay magnificent. Stay magnificent.